0: I the
1: Hello and welcome to the Liturgical Year on the Restoration Begin Network. The show attempts to look at a particular feast or feast in the month that is to come. And with me today, as always, is Father Charles McGuire. Father, it's a pleasure to have
0: you with us as always. Oh, nice to be here once again, Stephen. Father, could you start us in a prayer, please? In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus.
1: Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the
0: hour of our death. Pope St. Pius X, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. Thank you, Father, and thanks for
1: uh, valiantly uh, making up this show uh, before the end of the month. As, As it was, these weren't exactly minor feasts. That you were hoping to cover, and so we didn't really have
0: the option to
1: to miss this month,
0: did we? No, not at all. But you know, I thank you for your patience too. <laughs> so they're they're very beautiful oh. beasts that we're getting into.
1: Absolutely, and uh, I wanted to kind of do some cleanup work on our last show. I had surprised you with a with a trivia question. And I wanted to uh, give our audience a chance to, to hear that answer. And uh, if you didn't listen to our last episode, I'd ask, Father, why, why at times a bishop will take the maniple after the prayers of the foot, as opposed to, let's say, Father would normally put his maniple on in the sacristy. Father, could you tell us the answer to that?
0: Yes, it was actually a very practical reason for doing that that in the um, early years of the church the bishop wore a sort of a gothic chasuble that was made of very heavy um, gold thread so it was extremely heavy and bulky and so he couldn't get the maniple on in the first place so after the prayers at the foot of the altar the rubrics prescribed that the deacon would roll back the sleeves of the, the chasuble and then put the maniple on because it seemed to be the most practical time to do that. And so, uh, even though with Roman style vestments now we don't, uh, there's no nothing that stands in the way of putting the maniple on. The church has just decided to keep that um, that ancient rubric, and so that's why the bishop puts on the manifold later.
1: Well, and I suppose today it's in it's in a. Uh... Thanksgiving for not having to wear heavy gothic vestments anymore.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um,
1: the other thing I wanted to connect from our last show was we, we talked about Ash Ash Wednesday uh, in our last episode. But uh, one of our listeners had pointed out, and I thought it would be a logical connect to our first topic today, which is Palm Sunday. People had asked, where do those ashes come from? And I, I realized we didn't talk about that in our episode. So can you talk a bit about how those ashes come to be and what should be the discipline of of Catholics regarding the palms that we'll be getting on Palm Sunday?
0: Oh, yes. So the ashes obviously come from uh, the palms of last Palm Sunday. Um, so we take them and, and burn them and make them into ashes. And there's a connection between the, the ashes and palms as sort of a spiritual aspect between the ashes, which symbolize sort of a penance, and then the palm, which symbolizes, as we'll talk about a little later, victory, victory over self. And um, so that's the connection. That's where we get the ashes from.
1: And as a connection into uh, this week's so, sorry. This episode's first topic, which is Palm Sunday, Father. Um, can you tell us a little bit about
0: the history of this really important piece? Oh yes, it um, it really has um, a rich history and how our uh, the ceremonies of Palm Sunday came to be. Of course, it all started with um, with Christ's entrance into Jerusalem, but then from there it was. Um, just after the persecutions that had ended, persecutions against the church um, in around the fourth century, the Catholics in Jerusalem held a procession in which they carried palm branches and sang Hosanna. Then later on, in the, or I'm sorry, around the same time actually, in the Latin church, the faithful would hold twigs of olive branches during the Mass, and these were not blessed, but they were just symbolic twigs from the the olive tree, from the palm trees. Um, So the palm blessing itself was not always done, but uh, in the Frankish kingdom, as they say, is when the the palm blessing, uh, where it first started, where we trace it back to. um, In northern Italy, it was first mentioned in the 8th century. And then soon after was accepted by by Rome, where the mass was said in a church just outside the city, and the palms were blessed there. A solemn procession was formed, which entered into the Lateran Basilica or St. Peter's Basilica, either one, and the Pope of seeing a second mass. Um, the the first. So originally there were two masses on that day: one for the blessing of palms, and the second was just the the ordinary Mass, but the the first Mass was obviously discontinued. Then we we go up into the Middle Ages, and here they had a lot of interesting uh, ceremonies that they performed. Um, They would carry in the the procession, they would carry uh, our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament, or a very beautifully decorated crucifix to represent our Lord coming into Jerusalem. In a, even later in that same period, though, a wooden statue of Christ riding a donkey was carted in procession. The whole scene was brought in on, on wheels. It, they call that the palm donkey. Um, and during this procession, the, uh, during the ceremony, rather, the procession came, to the city gate, wherever the wherever this ceremony was carried out. The boys' choir was high above the doorway to the church, singing the Gloria Laus et Honor, honor which we still sing in the ceremonies today. That was their way of uh, greeting our Lord, and the people would then reverence the Blessed Sacrament or the crucifix uh, by placing cloths and flowers and branches on the ground. and The bells were were rung and all would enter the cathedral. Um, so there were many, many different ways of celebrating this feast day. The the last one I want to talk about, though, was the, um, took place in Jerusalem. All the holy places in the holy lands were under the care of the Franciscan order. And so the whole community of Franciscans in that area would go to Bethpage in the morning. The father guardian of the Holy Land, uh, the one that was in charge of, of everything, he would vest in his pontifical vestments and ride a donkey in Jerusalem. Meanwhile, he was surrounded by all of his friars, and all the Catholics of Jerusalem who were holding palms in their hands. Then they would process into the... the Church of the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem, and their holy mass would be would be offered so that's a bit of the history uh, that we have uh, of how our ceremony developed
1: well, and there's a couple things I want to add on to that um, Father, one that I think we've talked about before is the stational church, the importance of of which stational church is there an I It's interesting. I really advocate that as many Catholics as possible within their means should get to Rome because when you see in your missal, Stational Church at Santa Sabina or at, at, at Tom Sylvester, you in a way get to be there because you remember what it looks like. And so when you realize uh, Stational Church here, now, unfortunately, we're in an interregnum now, so we don't have a situation where the Holy Father would go to Santa Sabina on Ash Wednesday. We just have, unfortunately, an imposter uh, running around, or uh, I suppose going around on his moped. But uh, I think what's neat about this feast as well is the Stational Church. Father, could you tell
0: us a little bit about that? Well, yes. So the, the Stational Church, remember, every day in Lent has a different Stational Church. Um, that it somehow connects with the liturgy. And so the one for Palm Sunday is uh, one book called the, the Church of the Holy Redeemer, or also the Lateran Basilica. Um, and that is actually the, um, might say, the Pontifical Palace. And it's um, a, one of the, the greatest of the churches in Rome and in the Catholic Church. Um, and so it's it's only fitting that we should uh, enter into this church to greet our Savior as uh, we commemorate his entry into Jerusalem. Um, and remember that, too, we are also proclaiming him the uh, King of Martyrs, as uh, one book that explains this feast uh, really means. And so the branches that we carry, the branches of palm, um, are a symbol of, of martyrdom victory, a, a very spiritual victory. And so we greet the Christ as the King of Martyrs um, in in this stational church. Um. Now
1: Father, you had mentioned that there are two masses and actually in our in our construct, and of course we're talking about the pre-1955 ceremonies whenever you're talking I suppose I should mention that to our listeners father whenever you're describing the feast we're going to talk about today we're talking about the the pre-1955 ceremonies and of course that would be an entirely different episode to talk about those changes but um, Mm -hmm. we're just going to be focusing on on the ceremonies as they are now the, the two masses you talk about there's still there's still a preservation for that within as you as you started our we started our show today talking about the maniple the original reason for the mantle being taken by the bishop at the foot of the altar is still preserved we still have those two masses preserved within our ceremonies
0: yes oh exactly there's what it what we call the misa uh, sica or a dry mass for the blessing of the palms and it's it's got all of the uh, central parts of the mass you might say there's the the introit, a collect, epistle, the gradual and gospel. There's even a uh, preface and sanctus. And then instead of the canon of the Mass, in which the Blessed Sacrament is consecrated, there is the canon of the blessing of palms and the five blessing prayers that we have. After that, where we would normally have distribution of Holy Communion, there's distribution of palms and another prayer, which. Um, acts as a sort of a post-communion prayer with the same general spirit and idea that just as we pray in the post-communion of Mass that we pray that we might profit from the reception of our Lord in, in Holy Communion. So we pray that we might all um, profit spiritually from the reception of the great sacramental that we've just gotten. Um, so there's all those parts of the Mass, you might say. Um some of the interesting things, I know it's just interesting to point out a couple of the differences between the 1955 changes, post-1955, and the pre-1955 changes, that under Pius, the before 1955, the color of that whole blessing was violet, which had great symbolism, not only of penance and mourning, but also... Violet is the royal, the color of royalty. And so as we're, we're accepting, proclaiming our Lord as the, the kingly Messiah, um, it's fitting that the church wears violet on that day. But in the 1955 changes, the color was changed to, to red. Um, the cross also was unveiled in the, the changes. Whereas before it was always veiled as a sign of mourning and penance, um, different things like that uh, took place that were you know very symbolic changes uh, but uh, in any case that's sort of a side note um, but yes the uh, so we have the uh, the remnants of a of the the first mass that was always celebrated uh, in the past.
1: Yeah, Father, I, I think you wanted to talk a bit about the the palms themselves, and then also the the mass prayers. There's there's so much uh, history here, um, and it's such a special time of year. It's the beginning of the Holy Week. Um, it, it's a uh, it's both the triumph and sadness. We know that the the Jews will will welcome our Lord uh, as royalty here, recognize him as their King, and then um, I suppose. Um, uh, go the complete opposite way just a few days later
0: oh yes and, and the liturgy of that this day does a very obviously a very great job of um showing that that joy mingled with sorrow um, but the um so yes the uh the it's a very beautiful symbol. But before I get into the what you had just mentioned, I would like to, before I go into the symbolism of the poems, there's one ceremony before all of that be- uh, actually takes place. Just after you receive the poems, um, but I do want to touch on that before we do the mass prayers, um, and that is sure. the, the the ceremony at the at the door. And this is a part where. All servers seem to, to jump the gun. They want into heaven a little too early. They want those doors open. Um, so if you're an MC listening to this show, be sure to know the rubric and when to tell the, the crossbearer to knock on the door before the procession enters church. But um, the, it's a very beautiful, extremely beautiful um, symbolism as the procession goes outside. And then they stop before the doors of the church. Um, you'll probably notice that two of the choir members go on the inside, but everyone else is left outside in the uh, the cold air and just waiting and, and singing this uh, beautiful, the Gloria Laus Honor um hymn that we have. But here there's some very beautiful symbolism in that um, the... The internal symbolism of all the external ceremonies that we're, we just performed is that we are commemorating our Lord's entrance into the earthly Jerusalem, which was a figure of the heavenly Jerusalem, uh, meaning heaven, which has been opened by a Redeemer. So the, the closed doors represent the gates of paradise, which have been shut to, to humanity because of, uh, because of sin. Inside, the two choir members singing represent the angelic choir, or the church triumphant, greeting our Lord's entry into heaven. Whereas the rest of the choir that remains outside with the priest and the people represents the church militant, uh, that is, the faithful on earth, greeting our Lord's entry into the the earthly Jerusalem. And finally, the knocking. You'll see the the crossbearer or the subdeacon. Uh, knock on the door three times with the cross symbolizes the opening of the gates of paradise by means of our Lord's death on the cross. So it's uh, a very beautiful thing, and then we we enter in triumphantly, singing the Ingrediente Domino, um, the Lord entering in. So there's beautiful symbolism there, but um, I may have jumped the gun a little bit on that. But we'll go back to the the Symbolism of, the symbolism of the palms themselves. Um, the, the poem as like we said just a few moments ago, is a sign of victory. That's why we have so many pictures of the, the holy martyrs of our church uh, depicted with uh, holding, a, holding a palm in their hands. It is a sign of victory. And so we have these palms, which we carry about, as a symbol that our Lord is about to wage war against the Prince of Death, and he is going to be victorious over him. And as we carry the palm, it shows that we are ready to follow our Lord into battle, any battle, uh, even to death if necessary. And so truly it's a sign of our loyalty to Christ the King and the Messiah's. And if we persevere in this battle, in this fight, then we too will be vic- victorious. And so now we find ourselves at the, the end of Lent. We've been fighting a spiritual battle against the world, the flesh, and the devil, and doing all of these penances. Um, and now we find ourselves at the end, and we hope that we have won at least some, been somewhat victorious over those three enemies of the soul but they also symbolize these poems do our good works. So just as I said, the, um, the good works that we've been doing throughout Lent, the, the spiritual and corporal works of mercy, um, the alms giving, the act of charity, uh, the extra prayers and penances. These are the good works that we bring to our Lord at the end of, of a long Lenten season. Um, and there's, one more symbolism that actually just found this morning as I was doing last minute preparations that the most useful, they say, the most useful of trees um, in Eastern countries was always considered to be the, the palm tree because of the shade that it provided. And this symbolized the, the overshadowing protection of divine providence, the book said and supernatural grace. And just as the palm tree supplies dates and different sorts of fruits, um, and a sort of wine that comes from its bark as well, this is a symbol of the nourishment that our Lord gives to us in Holy Communion. So that is uh, the the symbolism of the blessed palms that we'll receive.
1: Well, Father, uh, is there anything else that you'd to, to talk about in terms of, of the prayers themselves or about Palm Sunday. I know we've have spent quite a bit of time on this on on this already, but there's always there's always more that we could talk about. And unfortunately our our episode length doesn't give us the time to go as deeply into depth as possible, but we want to give people a deeper appreciation of, of those great feast. Is there is there anything else you'd like to talk about um, before we move on?
0: Um, I would uh I would say that pretty much covers it we can will this time because of sh- the short time as you said we'll just skip the mass part and and just hope that you know that people focus more on the the symbolism of the palm ceremony and, and how to apply that to the spiritual life. I you know whenever I see
1: palms it's one of the great things uh you, when I feel a lot of times when I'm in Europe and looking at churches, there's all these secret codes that you have to, to, to look at if you're pointing it out to someone who's who's not a Christian and they tell them, say, that's a palm. That means this person was a martyr. You see, they're holding, you know, uh, their head. Uh, this means that they were decapitated as a martyr. Um, so it, it's interesting to think about the palm as a symbol of victory. I think that uh, Palm Sunday we, you know, we associate, you know, we associate holding palms as, as sort of respect for our Lord, but I suppose that sense of victory sometimes is lost, um, especially the same, with the same meaning for the, the martyrs. So I think that, that it's really great that you brought that point out.
0: Yeah, so there's always some victory to win every day of our life. And so, uh, you know, hold on to those palms and count on the, the graces of the beautiful sacramental. A holy reminder of our yeah. dedication to our Lord. Indeed, indeed.
1: Uh, for those of you who are just joining us, you are listening to the Liturgical Year on the Restoration Radio Network, Episode 3. Um, I'm Stephen Heiner. I'm joined by Father Charles McGuire. And today we've been discussing Palm Sunday. We want to remind you that the Liturgical Year is a production of the Restoration Radio Network. All rights reserved and any duplication without explicit written permission is forbidden. However, permission can usually be very easily obtained by writing to mail at truerestoration.org. If you're listening to our show in iTunes or Stitcher, please make sure to leave us ratings and reviews. It helps those looking for truly Catholic programming to more easily find our work. Well, Father, our next feast is no less heady, um, and it has a special symbolism for you. Um, Growing up in in high school, I went to school with the Norbertine, and this was always a very, very big feast around the abbey, um, the the birthday of the priesthood, the institution of the mass, and it's strange because it's still within Lent, so it, it, we can't exactly go all out and celebrate. But it, I haven't really had too penitential of a, a dinner on on Monday Thursday <laughs> for many years now, so <laughs> I, I can't claim to be a great penitent on Monday Thursday. I wonder if that experience is the same for you, Father.
0: Oh, absolutely. You know, we, we should, whereas we're still doing penance and, and we're still in Lent, it is such a, a an important feast day for the whole church, really, because of the, the as you said, the institution of so many sacraments, so many important things that uh, revol- that our life revolves around as Catholics, that um, we should celebrate it with uh, with as much joy as as the Lenten season permits us to do, um, because it's so important. So by all means have a good meal on that day. <laughs> or
1: man, make sure you might, uh, uh, father, I know you wouldn't put yourself forward for this, but, um, there's no harm in buying gifts for our priests on Holy Thursday. It is a birthday, a commemoration of sorts for them. And, um, I, Father, I, I don't think you would refuse any gifts offered to you on on Monday Thursday.
0: Um,
1: <laughs> I I am using the traditional term Maundy, but I, there's nothing wrong with calling it Holy Thursday as well. But can you explain to listeners what the what the Maundy
0: is? Well, the the Maundy is like the well. I'm assuming you're referring to the the actual washing ceremony. Right, the I'm sorry, the mandatum. Yes, yeah. right, right. So mandatum comes from the Latin, which is commandment. And so, if we keep that that in mind, then it's a we understand more the symbolism of what's going on. The with the washing of the feet, you'll see these thirteen men, in the past they're always poor men, that the the priest would have in, and they they sit in the church. And the priest would go from person to person, wash his feet, and give a coin, uh, sort of an alms. Um, it used to be that there were 12, just to give a brief history. There were only 12 men, for obvious reasons, to symbolize the 12 apostles. But it changed under Pope St. Gregory the Great, who on one occasion, as he was washing everyone's feet, um, noticed the thirteenth. the 13th person, who was had a very beautiful countenance, but he disappeared after the ceremony. And it was, he realized, uh, St. Gregory realized that it was an angel or, or our Lord. And so from then on out, the priest would wash the feet of 13 men. But mandatum means commandment. Re- and it refers back to the supreme commandments, the two great commandments of God, the the love of God and the love of neighbor, and this is the great lesson of the mandatum, because it was a custom in the eastern countries to wash one's feet before sitting down to a feast, and it was considered a, a great act of hospitality to wash the feet of your guests before the feast, um, sort of a charitable act, and so our Lord did that before the Last Supper, as a sign, as a sign of charity, and that we should do the same for each other, love our neighbor. But it also gives us another lesson of the purity of soul that we should have before, and, before approaching holy communion. We're, we get covered with all the dust of the world and everything like that. We need to sit down and wash our feet, confession, uh, before going to communion, and not just purifying the mortal sins away, but even the lesser faults. So that we are truly pure before going to the Holy Communion. But in a nutshell, that's the, the Mandatum ceremony. Well, what
1: else of special significance? So we do have the the Mandi for the washing, Father. But there's also another really important ceremony. Uh, I say set of ceremonies. Um, um, something that is performed usually on this day. Um, that is really important, uh, something we don't really ever think about. We just sort of take it for granted. Of course, Father has those on hand. We don't realize, well, yes, because someone consecrated a bunch of this on on, on, on Monday Thursday and then
0: distributed it to a bunch of people. So what else goes on on Monday Thursday? Well, the as you said, the or we're hinting at the blessing of oils, uh, which is so important because these holy oils are used in so many of our sacraments. So we bless the oil of the sick, which is used in um, extreme unction. We bless the chrism, which is used in, in confirmation. It's also used in um, in baptism, um, dedication of churches, the consecration of bishops and chalices and altars. And then we the bishop also consecrates the oil of catechumens, which is not the matter for any sacrament, but it's still used in baptism. Uh, it's also used in the anointing of the priest, uh, newly ordained priest's hands, and in times past, the coronation of kings and queens. Um, so those are blessed. And in old days, it used to be that this ceremony was included. Not only the bishop. Uh, who blessed the oils but there were 12 priests 7 deacons and 7 subdeacons for this ceremony and they would uh, they would reverence the holy oils as you still see in solemn ceremonies today the priests will come and genuflect three times and bow and finally bow to the the holy oils and finally go up and and kiss the um, the urn that contains the holy oils Which is a symbol of reverence towards the Holy Ghost, who will work through these holy oils in the different sacraments. So, that is uh, one very important thing that's done, um, and that the Church gives us on that day.
1: I would, as I said, Father, I think it's something. I think it's something that a lot of us take for granted because we see oils that that you're using, and a lot of times these are. They're on the edges, it seems you know, when we come into this world and when we leave this world and and when we when we're confirmed and so sometimes and many of us aren't are not called to holy orders, and there's another occasion where these oils are used, so sometimes it's on the periphery of our perception, so we don't think about it, but it, it's really important. Do we have time to talk about the the type of oil that's used and and why that's particularly significant and why? We can't just use any
0: old oil? Yes. Um, the uh, oil that's used is actually the, the olive oil. Um, and it's used at... Remember, everything that the church uses for these different sacramentals has um, has symbolism, mystical significance to it. So we use the olive oil because of of this symbolism. It's used for, the olive oil is used for soothing and restoring. So that symbolizes the healing of the Holy Ghost, for instance, in extreme unction, where not only the soul is healed and cured of its sins, but also sometimes the body is is cured of sickness. Oil is also a source of light. Many churches used to use, and still some in Mexico use, the sanctuary lamps. They use Instead of the beeswax candle, they use um, olive oil. So it is used as a source of light. And this symbolizes the Holy Ghost enlightening our, our dull intellects. Um, oil also flows and penetrates, it says. And this symbolizes the infusion of the Holy Ghost into our souls. Oil is used to soften things, which it symbolizes the action of the Holy Ghost upon our wills. Uh, as stubborn as our wills are, the Holy Ghost' grace can, can soften them, make them docile. And, but olive oil itself is a, a special symbol of the Holy Ghost because the dove, remember in the history of Noah and the flood, when Noah sent a dove out, which is also the dove is also a symbol of the Holy Ghost. What did he bring back in his beak? As a symbol that the flood was was pretty much over, the waters were receding. He brought back an olive branch, um, and so that is why we use the the olive oil in in the blessing. So it all has to do with the Holy Ghost. Um, for the blessing of chrism, by the way. We, and remember the chrism used for confirmation, we, um, the bishop will mix in some, uh, some balsam. You'll notice that he blesses the, the balsam first of all, and that represents the, the good odor of Christ because the balsam has a very, very great fragrance. It's, um, a very nice smell. And so it represents the good odor of Christ or the, um, the different virtues, the good works of our Lord, and that, that we should have as well. In my doing some research for the show, I found out
1: there's things here in Europe that we would never, we would never think of in America. For example, Maundy Thursday is a public holiday in Spain, just as a Ascension Thursday is a, as a public holiday here in France. Well, so there's, there's still a, a, a persevering custom even today where, where so much has been denuded. Uh, but in, in that research, I also found out there's something called uh, the Seven Churches Visitation on, on, uh, on Monday,
0: Thursday. Father, have, have you heard about this before? I have. I have. I don't know um, much more than that the, the faithful go from church to church. Um, on that day, visiting the the Blessed Sacrament. Do you see that much in in France?
1: No, no, there there isn't. I, I was interested to find out that in the Philippines and and in Singapore, where my family and I have lived and spent some time, that that this is still observed. I I didn't experience it growing up. At least I can't remember consciously, and I didn't have a chance to speak to my parents about this before uh, today's episode. To ask them if they they uh, if they ever did this, but apparently the custom is still alive and well now. Singapore, the way that it's set together, it's quite hard to get to seven churches. The the city is um, not a traditionally Catholic city, and so the churches aren't all clustered together. Here in France, you could knock out, you know, Father, I could do seven churches in about fifteen minutes.
0: Uh, yeah. Here in, in
1: my neighborhood, we we've got we've got a bunch here, so. Uh, I suppose it's it, it's it's more or less uh, virtuous depending on how hard it is. But after the seven churches are visited, uh, and apparently this this or this the origin of this custom was from Rome, which again would be easy enough because seven churches in Rome uh, you could do that all in one block. Uh, then afterwards there would be a a, a a great meal because there would be a, the anticipation of of the fast of Good Friday. So. Mm-hmm. I suppose if you want to revive that custom, um, I don't know uh, if that could be done in, in Cincinnati, uh, or, or probably in in Milwaukee. That, that maybe wouldn't be too difficult to, to pull off. I suppose there's there's quite a few churches there,
0: but um, oh, yeah. I
1: suppose this is a salutary custom that could that could still be, despite the
0: fact that a lot of the churches are in exile. This might be something worthwhile to do.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it could be, or. Just um, you know, spend spend some time in front of the Blessed Sacrament at your your own church on Holy Thursday, which would probably be a very profitable thing. Uh,
1: but um, in, in indeed, I, in fact, I, I thought if you have some creative and uh, um, artistic children, you could maybe each draw a church, um, you know, and you have seven churches there, uh, and you could each present that uh, at the family meal, and and you could do your visits right there. Ah uh, right before dinner.
0: There you go. <laughs> so yes. The um I assumed we were we were also going to uh talk a little bit about some of the other minor ceremonies on that day, if we, we do have a little time. Yes. We, we we do have we do
1: have time, Father. If there's anything else you'd like to, to share about the day.
0: Yes, so um Remember the the repository. So after Mass, or maybe I should go into the Mass a little bit first, just so I'm sure many many of the people will notice uh, several changes in in the rubrics of the Mass. You'll notice that whereas the church is where the, the vestments of the priest are either white or gold, depending on where you go here, I'm sure we'll use gold. Um, and the, the altar is very beautifully decorated with flowers and relics and, and different uh, things like that. Um, That um, where it's very beautifully decorated, there's also sorrow in the fact that after the Gloria of the mass, the bells go away. There are no more bells, but they're replaced with a wooden clapper. There's, I found some interesting symbolism there that the bells signify the apostles. The purpose of the bell in Mass is to call our attention to an important part of the Mass. So, for example, the, the consecration or the dominion non un before the priest's communion. The bells are, are rung. So they symbolize the voice of the apostles, too, because the apostles, by their preaching called people to the true worship of God. But during our Lord's passion, they fled. They were nowhere to be found, nowhere to be heard. And so that's what is symbolized by the bells no longer being heard, that the apostles have fled. They're gone. There's also in the solemn high masses, you notice that ordinarily the um, deacon and subdeacon receive the kiss of peace from the celebrant of the mass, but it's done away with today because as the liturgical year says, it is only a painful reminder of Judas's kiss of betrayal. And so we don't want to do anything that will bring back bad memories and bad sin. Also, no private masses are offered on that day to symbolize the unity of the mass how it unites us all in Holy Communion as well. We're all united in the same Mass on on that day. Um, But after the Mass is finished and the oils have been blessed, then you'll notice the celebrant goes in procession with the Blessed Sacrament to the repository. Um, And this is where the Blessed Sacrament is kept and adored all night long until the ceremonies of Good Friday. There are really three symbols of this. One is that it's the tomb of our Lord. Another is that the repository symbolizes the Garden of Gethsemane, where our Lord has just gone for the beginning of his passion. He's awaiting the approach of Judas and all of his enemies. And he also says, when he turns and finds St. Peter sleeping and the other two apostles sleeping, he says, Peter, could you not watch one hour with me? And that's a reminder to us too. We kind of get lazy, especially in Holy Week, we're already so tired from ceremonies. You can imagine our Lord saying, as he truly desires, could you not watch one hour with me? Come to my repository and uh, visit me here. But it also represents his prison. Remember that when Judas came and kissed our Lord with the kiss of betrayal. He was taken. He was put in prison um, and kept in a, a certain prison all through the night. And it, he was tied um, and, and cuffed and kept there. And so our Lord is kept in the prison of the repository. Um, and the least we can do is is go and uh, adore him there. And the but the last ceremony that we cover is the stripping of altars, something that's not always remembered. Perhaps we don't know the symbolism of it. The priest comes out, um, and uh, he's just usually in a a surplus and violet stole. At least that's how we do it here at St. Gertrude's. And he intones the diviseron sibi, and then Psalm 21 is is sung. Diviseron sibi means they divided among themselves, so it's uh, an antiphon that talks about how the um, the soldiers that were present on Mount Calvary on at the crucifixion, how they cast lots and divided our Lord's garments. So the priest goes up to each altar in the church and strips the altar, which represents how our Lord was stripped of his garments before he was crucified, um, and the altars are left completely bare which tells us that the holy mass has now been suspended we will not offer mass on on good friday Um, and so it's suspended it's a very sad time and our churches are empty we no longer have the joy of our lord's presence on our main altar because he is in the the hands of the enemy now and ready to begin his passion so that's symbolized by by uh the stripping of the altar and i suppose Father given that we we looked at two uh,
1: we could we say happy, there were happy themes that that both of the feasts that we looked at today, there's an undercurrent um sadness to come, so despite how joyful and in a way regal both Palm Sunday and, and Monday Thursday can be, there is especially I think with your your last uh discussion a hint of what's to come just on the other side,
0: yes, yeah. oh. Absolutely. And so we would do well remembering to uh, remembering that the purpose of the liturgy is to help us to develop the spirit of Christ, to develop the spirit of the season that we're in. Uh, and if we follow the liturgy, especially on these two days, or in particular, I should say, on, on these days, then we'll develop that. Um, we'll, we'll profit from the lessons that, yes, it they are days of joy but always keeping in the back of our mind what's coming it's our Lord's passion um, but um, so we should we should truly try to to develop that and and still whereas we are joyful at, uh, on those days we should still um, remember that we're in a penitential season and continue with our penances through this uh, the remainder of the, the holy week as I said uh, last episode, Father, I feel
1: like we're cheating a little bit because you know, the way that our episodes run, you know, we really have only had one and a half episodes on length, and by the time I get to have the the next episode with you, will be already past uh, the events of uh, of uh, Holy Week and and Good Friday. So I feel like we got to fast forward a little bit, but um, I I do think uh, it, it's really helpful. Uh, in this particular season, I think it's good in any season, obviously, to meditate upon the feast prior to going. We we said we said from the beginning of this series that you don't want to just let mass happen to you, just show up and oh, what are we doing today? Uh, where, where am I supposed to in to? my missile? Bring that intentionality, and in, not just by reading the readings for the day, but but understanding a, a little bit about history. And I think uh, I, certainly for myself, I can speak for myself that I. Um, after listening to you today, I'm going to bring a little bit more to Palm Sunday and Monday, Thursday, um, as I as I meditate upon
0: the, the liturgy on those days. Yes, and uh, you know, Deo gratias for that. And uh, I I hope and pray that uh, each one of us truly profits from from this season. It is the most grace-filled. Uh, one last thought is sort of encouragement for, for people. Um, I know we have to probably get going in a minute, but um, remember with all of the, the things that go on that uh, in Holy Week and all the graces that are being offered to 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 all of us, sinners and, and just alike, that the devil will try to do many things to distract you from the different ceremonies and uh, things like that. Don't be surprised could be family problems or, or what have you, but be faithful, persevere, and remember that uh, it will pay off. You just um, offer those little sufferings up, try your best to get to the ceremonies and concentrate on on the Holy Week because it, it could be this holy Week truly that, uh, that that is the one that makes you this, a saint that you're meant to be. So uh, persevere to the end. Or, indeed, Father, it could be your last Holy Week. It could be your last Lens. That is even more true. That is very true. So um, use it well. Mm -hmm. When you use grace as well, you certainly get uh, many more, many more follow uh, in their train. You know, Father, the,
1: the last thing I, I want to mention today before we uh, we finish up our episode is to talk about the fact that when this show is broadcast, we're a little bit past the halfway point in length. And as with any period in our in our life when we're working towards a specific goal, we might reflect that it's been a good lens, it's been a bad lens, we we've hit some of our goals, we haven't hit some of our goals. As you're talking to parishioners or, or people who are asking for your advice around this this halfway point. Uh, to inland. Are there any things that particularly we should keep in mind if, if we failed in our resolutions or things have not gone the way that we've wanted?
0: Yes, and, and remember that our Lord permits evil only to bring about a greater good, and so if we can only say to ourselves that we've failed and that we haven't been faithful, well, our Lord is giving you an opportunity to do good in another way, growing in humility by the grace of, by, you know, by my own power, here's what I am by the grace of God, I can be faithful. So you don't get discouraged. You just jump right back on the horse and keep plodding along for the the rest of Lent. Um, Every day asking our lady for the, the grace of fidelity to remain as she did at the foot of the cross, And uh, put, I would also add, remember that our Lord doesn't love numbers as much as he does fervor and uh, equality. So um, you don't necessarily have to concentrate on the number of penances you're doing, but do few few penances, but do them well and do them with, with great love. And that's that will make your Lent, the second half of the Lent, even uh, more powerful than the first. That would be my advice.
1: Well, I think those are great words, and thanks for the encouragement, Father. Father and I will will join you again, as we said, uh, next month to talk about feasts and observances in, uh, in the month of May. Uh, we'll, we'll come back in April, and uh, that will be on April the 11th. As usual, the liturgical year is the second Friday of every month. So we'll see you next month for another episode. Father, as always, I appreciate uh, appreciate you joining us and uh, look forward to seeing you next month. Well, you too, Stephen. Thank you very much. All of us here at the Restoration Radio Network would ask that if you found this show to be informative, helpful, or in any way beneficial to you and to your faith, that you please consider making whatever donation is possible to our apostle, no matter how small it may be. To those of you who have donated, a heartfelt thank you for your kindness and generosity. Remember that above and beyond material contributions, the most important donation you can make to our work here is prayer. Please think of offering a Mass, a Rosary, or even simply an Ave for our work the next time you pray. If you have any questions or comments or would like to reproduce our copyrighted work on your channel in some format, we'd love to hear from you. Again, mail at truerestoration.org. For the Restoration, I am Stephen Heiner. May God bless you.
0: This program was brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novos Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovosOrdoWatch.org. That's watch.org.